0: Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you, Jared. Thank you very much for filling in for Pastor Joey. And uh, do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. I'm just going to dive right in this morning. Uh, So if you have a Bible, turn to John 9. We've been going through the Gospel of John this summer. And uh, we're already up to chapter nine. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. That's our gift to you. And uh, we love for you to have a copy of God's Word that you read on your own. Uh, I want to remind you while you're kind of getting all that out and getting your note sheet out, so you can take some notes. Is we uh, sent off this morning our first of three missions teams that are going out this summer uh, on short-term mission trips. So if you guys would do me a favor and be praying, uh, we sent a team off to New Mexico, and uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, is to sign up and be a part of Coastal's Facebook page, and we will be updating you uh, throughout the week. That's if our Director of Missions, Robert Swoboda, can learn how to use Facebook. Uh, he was working actively at that this week, so he can update us on that trip. And it's just a great way to follow along the things that are going on in the church life and, and uh, help remind you guys to pray. And uh, And so, yeah, just keep them in your prayers. It's going to be a great trip. And then in the fall, uh, we're hoping to have a missions night where uh, all the groups that went out this summer will come back and kind of tell us what was going on. And I know you'll look forward to being a part of that and hearing the neat things that you were a part of and prayer support and financial support and other ways to send them out. John chapter nine, I am uh, going to dive in. I, uh, how many of you all at your house have a um, a bin or a box that you throw like old t-shirts in uh, that eventually become the rags that you use around your house? Anybody have that kind of box? A couple of you. Okay. I have one of those. and uh, Now, usually when I tell a story about my wife, I've tried to honor her or uplift her, but this morning I actually got to throw her under the bus a little bit. Um, this shirt I have pulled out of our rag bin multiple times, right? Now, I know you're looking at it and going, why would she throw that in the rag bin, right? Uh, maybe not. Anyway, but uh what she doesn't know is this is the 1996 Michael Jordan MVP t-shirt, all right? And and it just can't end up in the in the rag bin. I mean, yeah, it's got a few holes and it's threadbare, but um this is a great shirt. We're trying to nurse it to its 20-year anniversary is what we're trying to do. And uh and so every time this ends up in the rag bin, I find it, I put it back on my stack of t-shirts, and then when I wear it, my wife's like, What are you doing wearing that? And I said, Honey, this is an old favorite. Are you just when this t shirt goes on, my cell phone goes off. I'm done being a pastor, you know, this is the relaxed t shirt, kick back in the recliner. How many of y'all have that kind of t shirt? All right. How many of y'all have a spouse that keeps trying to throw it in the rack? No, don't answer that. All right. So yeah, that's a favorite of mine. Okay. That's an old favorite. Um, if I forget it here this morning, don't any of y'all try to steal it, because I know you're jealous right now. But um, uh, this morning, I'm going to look at a passage of scripture that for me is an old favorite. I, John chapter 9 is a story that uh, hopefully you've read before or heard before, but even if you haven't, I hope it becomes a part of your devotional life, your quiet time, your prayer time. This is an amazing story that we can become incredibly familiar with, and it's got so many facets of truth uh, that there's no way, in one sermon, I can unpack the entire thing. Uh, I tried to figure out a way this week to shorten it up, and as I kept reading the text and massaging the sermon, I realized we really need to look at the whole story in, in its text. So I'm going to be maybe reading a little bit more this morning than I normally do, but I hope you find that this story is just incredibly engaging with your mind and your heart. So with that, let's look at John chapter John chapter John 9, verse 1. Check this out. It says, as Jesus was walking along, there was a man who had been blind from birth earth rabbi the disciples asked him why was this man born blind was it because of his own sin or his parents sin so i want you to see something here is a person is suffering they've got a disability and the thinking of the day is this person is disabled or is suffering because of one of two things either personal sin or the sin of someone else jesus here interjects a whole new possibility though he says, it's not because of the sins of his parents, uh, his sins or his parents' sin. Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. So the first thing I want you to see out of this story, which I hope will encourage you this morning, if you're, if you're in the middle of a difficult time, if you're not in the middle of a difficult time, I'm a pessimist by nature, you will be eventually, right? I mean, it's just kind of the nature of life. It comes, comes in circles, and sometimes it's difficult, right? And so uh, if you're in the middle of a difficult time, I hope that this encourages you, because what I want you to see, first of all, is that not all of human suffering or brokenness is, is because, and then fill in the blank, you hear that? Like, because we like to do that. Like, we we gotta assign blame when, when we're so like, you know, or or you look at another person's circumstance, you're like, they're going through that because of this decision, that decision. They're going through this because of their sin, or you know, they're going through this because of their parents' sin or whatever. And they, we and that's kind of the culture that Jesus lived in, and we still do that today. Jesus here introduces a whole new possibility, but this possibility requires that we step back and we view life from an entirely different perspective. The only way Jesus' point to suffering makes any sense at all is if you step back and you have an eternal perspective of what God is doing both eternally and with your life personally. Suffering and difficulty is not always the result of personal sin. Now, let me say this. Let me back up here and make sure, because some of y'all question me after service, okay? To be clear, all of the brokenness of life and all the suffering suffering in life is a result of the fall of man, no question about it. God created us for perfection, a perfect place, Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 kind of stuff, right? And so understanding that, that all of suffering is a result of brokenness. But Jesus here, when, on a personal level, saying, look, sometimes God's doing something to reveal something bigger than we can even imagine. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, said this. He says, he believes that, and this is kind of addressing the issue, and that's another sermon for another day, and I've preached several of those, the, the idea of, the, of um, the problem of evil, okay? And so C.S. Lewis says he believes that this is the best of all possible worlds to display all the, all the glories and all the characters of the God, characteristics of the God we worship. Does that make sense? Okay, so Jesus here with this blind man says, no, you're missing the point. This is an opportunity for the power and the glory of God to shine through his life. I want you to think about that for your own life. If you're sitting here this morning and you've been going through a difficult time, I want you to be challenged with this thought that maybe God is using your difficulties to bring him greater glory than you can even imagine. Does that make sense? And it takes an eternal perspective to see it that way. In fact, God himself allowed his own son to suffer so that we would see the greater glory of God's character of redemption and reconciliation and buying us back to have a relationship with him. Second Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul said this in verse 17. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't what? What's it say next, church? Won't what? Last very long. Doesn't always feel like that, does it, when you're in the middle of it? I mean, the only way you're going to be in the middle of a difficult set, circumstance and step back and go, hey, this is just a brief thing, is if you see your life in the scope of eternity, right? You're created for eternity. You're going to last forever. And the Bible even says, you know, 60, 70, maybe 80 years is what we have here on earth. And in that brief time, He calls the Bible calls that a vapor, Right? It goes like that, here today, gone tomorrow, and the only way you're going to see difficulty and suffering that you may go through on a personal level is something God can use. If you understand that you're created for eternity and your life here on earth is just this brief moment, yet, Paul says, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look, for the tr- uh, look at the troubles that we can see now, rather we fix our gaze, Church, in order to see what God might be doing through difficult circumstances, is to fix your eyes, fix the eyes of your heart, fix your gaze on something eternal. He says, we fix our gaze on, that, on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be what? Gone, right? I mean, how, how much attention did your financial circumstance get this week? How much attention did your house get this week, or your car, or you know, things that don't, your bank account, your IRA, retirement, things that won't last. How much attention, Paul says, we fix our gaze not on the things that we see, because the things we see will soon be gone, but the things that uh, we cannot see, man, they will last forever. And so this man is born blind, and the disciples are asking the wrong question. Did he send a parents? And Jesus said, no, wait a minute, you're missing the point. There's something bigger going on here. This is an opportunity for the power of God to be displayed. Through this man's suffering. The only way you're going to see that is if you step back, you zoom out, and you have an eternal perspective that God is doing something bigger than you and I could even imagine. Not all of human suffering is just because, fill in the blank, whatever you think it is. Sometimes, God is just displaying His glory even through difficult circumstances. Now, now I want to move through this story. Okay, so I don't want to. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna add libit a little bit here, and then we're gonna dive in here. Dive back in at verse thirteen. Okay, so what happens next? They come across this blind man. The d- disciples ask this very important question about suffering and evil, and Jesus gives a new perspective. And then Jesus spits on the ground, which is, to me is the oddest way of healing I've ever seen in the Bible. But he spits on the ground. Right. He makes a mud pie with his own spit. He wipes it on this blind guy's eyes. He says, "Listen, I want you to go to the pool." Of Siloam, I want you to wash off, and once you wash off, you'll be able to see. Okay, so the blind man does what he's told. He he takes the washes the mud pies off at this pool, and then he's able to see. He goes home to his neighbors, and his neighbors begin to ask, "Isn't this the blind guy that always used to beg?" Now, in Bible times, if you had a disability, it was nearly impossible to make a living. Okay, the culture wasn't set up for disabilities. The only way you could make a living was to sit at the street corner and beg. That's all this guy had ever. Known all his neighbors had ever seen him with a, as a blind man, and by the way, you know people that are blind they, they have a difficult time navigating the streets, right? Now all of a sudden he's walking com- confidently, right? He's able to see where he's going, and so they're confused. Isn't this the blind guy? Finally, he pr- convinces them, "Yes, I'm the guy that used to sit on the street corner and beg, but I've been healed." Okay, and so these people, his neighbors, do something very strange here. They take him before the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Now, obviously, they knew the Pharisees were struggling with the ministry of Jesus. Remember, the gospel of John is about belief and unbelief. Everything that Jesus is doing is dividing. You either believe in him or you don't believe in him. And so the Pharisees are struggling to believe in him. So these people, they take this guy that once was blind, now healed, to the Pharisees. Now check this out. This is a great passage, a little bit long, but it's a great story. Get this, ready? They took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Why'd they take him? Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so he told them, he put mud over my eyes. When I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's a man, guys, he, the, the evening he was healed is the first evening his entire life, he's gonna see a sunset. Right, And all the religious leaders can worry about is the day of the week that he was healed. How could an ordinary sinner, so, so some of the Pharisees said he's healing the Sabbath, but others said, how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man that healed you? Now, to me, that's the craziest question in the segment. What do you think his opinion's going to be about the guy that healed him? Yeah, he uh, he's sketchy, right? I mean, you know, no, he's seeing for the first time, right? I mean, what answer do they expect to get? Um, he said. The man replied. I think he must be a prophet. You know, there's something special going on here, right? Uh, and so I think he's a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man that he had been that had been blind and could now see. And so they called in his parents. Isn't this is great. This is great. Go get his parents. Somebody's got an answer for this, right? They asked them, "Is this your son?" And I know there's three questions here. Listen, "Is this your son?" "Was he born blind?" And if so, how can he now see? So his parents reply. We know this is our son. Yes, he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Uh, and so, uh, he's and so they said, ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. They're trying to weasel their way out of this mess. Like, you know, like go ask him. He's a big boy, you know. Yeah, that's kind of how that went down. I get this. His parents said this. Uh, Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus is the Messiah could be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough. Ask him. Church, I I, want to park here for a few minutes this morning. This is incredible spiritual blindness. This is incredible spiritual blindness. There is a... um, there's a hardness in the heart of these Pharisees that it's hard for me to even get my mind around. Now, I want to make a, a couple observations about spiritual hardness or what I'm calling unbelief. Okay, okay. Unbelief misses the obvious. I, wanna, I want you to hear that because I'm, I'm going I'm to drill down here for a minute. Unbelief misses the obvious. There are certain things where the spiritual and physical intersect, and it's so obvious and so simple that we have to believe in the divine. We have to believe in the work and the hand of God. This is, this is what I call Romans 1 stuff. And you say, What's Romans 1? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read to you a little bit out of Romans 1. I don't have it in your notes because I added this this morning, okay? But Romans 1 is is where the apostle Paul makes the argument that it's obvious to us that there's a God based upon creation. So I want, you, I want to read this. This is Romans 1. If you have time, you can flip over a couple of pages. Romans 1, verse 18, you can follow along with me. It says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So he's saying, look, people suppress the truth. Why do they suppress the truth? They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So, they have no excuse for not knowing God. Paul says, listen, it's obvious when you look at creation that there's at least intelligent design. This is the hand of God. The creation itself is screaming to us. The divine nature of a creator a divinity. Yet they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They claimed to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, uh, they worshiped idols made uh, to look more like people and birds than animals animals and reptiles. Here's what Paul's saying in Romans 1. We should be able to look at creation and see that it's obvious that there's a creator. It should be obvious. The Pharisees see a blind guy that can see now. It's obvious. This is the work of God. Yeah. Uh, this past week, I was making coffee, and looked out my window, and and there was this robin on my deck, and uh, and me and my me and this robin, we had a moment. It's kind of cool. Like we. I could just tell, like, we were intersecting, you know, and I was looking at its eye, because you could only see it from the side, and so, <clears throat> you know, one eye kind of thing, and, and um, it was kind of looking back at me, and, um, and then I watched it hop off my deck, and I watched it begin to hunt for food, and I watched it fly away, and while I was hunting for food, I started to ask some really weird philosophical questions. It's horrible to be wired up this way, you know, but I started asking these really weird philosophical questions, like, how'd you get here? And, um, like, who told you what to search for when it comes to food? And how do you know how to build a nest and and how to survive the winter? And who taught you how to procreate, that there'll be more robins here next year? Like, how's all that happen, you bird brain? Right? You know, like, like, how does that happen? Like, how's that? And I sat there, and I watched this robin, and as I watched this robin, it was screaming to me, intelligent design. I'm sitting there watching. I was like, there's got to be a God. And by the way, is he amazing or what? I mean, you know, how incredible that he what He cares even about this little robin on my desk and he, deck and he wired it up to know what to do and how to live and how to, where, to, where, to, where to sleep at night. He, he cares about even the birds of the air. I mean, if he cares about that little robin, I mean, how much more church does he care about us? And it became. I'm sitting here going, it's obvious that there has to be a God for life to exist on this planet. To me, it's obvious. In fact, I would say this, it takes more faith to come up with other ideas about how we exist than it does to believe in a creator God. And Paul says, what happens is, the minute we move away from that idea, that God exists and God does do some things. He intervenes into the natural order of things from time to time with the supernatural, mostly his son, Jesus Christ. But wh- if, if, once we move away from that, we've got to, in our minds, we become cloudy. We've got to come up with other ideas about how we got here and how our worldview came together. And to me, this Robin just made it so clear to me that God exists and he's incredible. And he's creative. And he's worthy of my worship. and He's worthy of my praise. And church, I want to be clear here unbelief is a worldview. Don't let anybody tell you different. Unbelief's a worldview that has to be defended and has to be manipulated to make sense of life. You know, so if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, the culture we live in says you're closed-minded, right? But I want to tell you something. Unbelief is is not being open-minded. It is a belief system and a worldview that has to be defended somehow. I always say this. The point of being open-minded is to define the truth and then close your mind on the truth. We need to build our lives on something that's true. Otherwise, we're building on a lie. And unbelief is a worldview and it's a grid which a person interprets the world and the events around them. These Pharisees were building on their unbelief. John chapter 9, verse 18 says, the Jewish leaders. They still refused to believe the man. Uh, the man had been blind because and, and could now see so they called in his parents in other words they, they're trying to defend their unbelief. yeah uh, there's a there's a faulty foundation in the world of unbelief. There's a faulty foundation in a, in the world of spiritual hardness. Now, what I'm about to show you, I actually borrowed from a guy, so I don't want you to think if you ever come across it and read it, like, oh, he stole. I borrowed it from a guy named John MacArthur, in his commentary. Now, so this doesn't make this next section doesn't make me smart. It just means I can read. Okay, so um, <clears throat> he said this about the faulty foundation of unbelief. He says, first of all, unbelief sets a false standard. Right? What's the false standard in this story? It's the Sabbath. You are not... Are you are healing a guy on the Sabbath? What's wrong with you? Right? I mean, how ridiculous. It's a false standard. Unbelief always wants more evidence but never has enough. There's a blind guy standing in front of you that can see, and you're saying, go get his parents. This is ridiculous. Unbelief does biased research on a subjective basis. Meaning, you're not searching for the truth, you're searching to defend your worldview. Um, there's, somebody, there's someone in this room that that's your story right now. God's been working on your heart. We've been going through John together. The Holy Spirit's been working on your heart through the preached word, but you keep defending your worldview at all costs. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief rejects the facts. Just rejects, outright rejects it. It doesn't matter The a blind guy can see there's something wrong here. Unbelief is ultimately self-centered. Unbelief is ultimately self-centered. You know why this is so important, what I'm talking about here this morning? Because if the story of Jesus is true, you might have to change some of your behavior. All right? The reason that Christianity is under so much attack In higher education, in our culture, one of the reasons I believe that to be true is because, one of the reasons I think that's under attack is because if it's true, we would have to radically change the way we live. By the way, the Bible calls that repentance. The Bible calls it, I've got to stop doing it my way. The reason we love to defend our unbelief It's because we, as a culture, don't like to be told what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. We cringe at the word submission, right? And to be a follower of Jesus means you've got to submit your life to Christ and the truth of God's word, man. And we push against that. That doesn't come natural to us. And you know why it doesn't come natural to us? Because the Bible says we're dead in sin. We are self-centered. We want it to be all about us. And so we will defend the worldview of unbelief if, if, if... needs be. Here's the third thing I want you to see out of the story is the simplicity of truth. <laughs> Sometimes truth is the simplest answer, right? The, temp, the testimony of this blind guy was really simple, right? Here's the simple testimony of a blind man. When they're asking him, how'd you get healed? He said, and then they asked him if Jesus was a sinner. He says, I don't know whether he is a sinner. The man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Don't you love that? Look, here's my, I couldn't see, now I can see. It's really pretty simple. Like, that's my story, right? And listen, I'm a huge believer in apologetics, and I think when you're a Christian, it doesn't mean we check our brain at the door, right? And I think there's some reasonable defenses to the truth and to the scriptures. I've preached multiple sermon series on this. One's called Coffee Talk, and I did one this spring called Tough Truths in the Bible, and we kind of went through some things because I want you to be ready to make a defense in this culture for the truth of God's word. But sometimes the story is as simple as once I was blind and and now I could see. Sometimes it really is that simple. I remember, church, when I was doing my own thing and living my own way, and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God got a hold of my heart, and the scales of unbelief fell off. How many of y'all remember that day, right? Or maybe it was a process for you you remember that, right? Like, like man, I'm living a lie, man. And, I, and what happened was oh, my the scales of unbelief and the scales of pride and the scales of cynicism and the scales of, man, I don't know everything. And the, uh, the, and the repentant part of this where I had to bow a knee humbly under the feet of Christ in belief. But what happened was when that happened, man, I was at that moment. You want to know why? It is emotionally exhausted to prop yourself up all the time, isn't it? That wearies me. Why? Because I I make so many mistakes. If I have to prop myself up, I'm just always trying to defend my own human nature, and that's emotionally exhausted. And some of you in this room, you came in this morning, you haven't been to church in a long time, and you're here, and you're like, man, I'm tired inside. And you know what you're tired? You're tired of propping a sinner like yourself up. And when you bow a knee and you worship Christ, there is freedom. And sometimes the spiritual story is, man, I was blind, but now I see. And by the way, if you're here this morning, someone invited you, and it's been a while since you come to church, the reason they invited you is because they're on the other side of this. They're on the seeing side now. And they can see what Christ has done. Man, they just want want everybody to see it with them. And so sometimes, not only is the truth simple, but it's also simple and reasonable, Okay? It's also simple and reasonable. We, we like to push against truth as being unreasonable. Now, I love this part of the story. I actually left a couple verses out of your handout, which I want to read to you, because this is, this is where healed blind guy gets snarky, okay? And so this is great, right? So, so the parents come in. They say, why don't you ask him? And so they bring the now healed blind guy back in for a second round of questions, right? And, and their questioning has to do with Jesus, right? Is he a sinner or not a sinner? And in verse 27, which, again, is not in your handout, this is what he says. They ask him, you know, is he a sinner or not? And he, finally, the blind guy, the healed blind guy goes, look the man exclaimed i told you once didn't you listen why do you want to hear it again here's where it gets funny ready do you want to become his disciples too right oh man that spins up these pharisees you know and so they really start pushing him on his healing and his belief in jesus and this is what he says and this is where not only is it simple but it's reasonable check this out john chapter 9 verse 30 he says why that's very strange hear the snarkiness and the cynicism He says, the man replied, He healed my eyes, and yet you all don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. It's just simple and reasonable. If there is a God, which these Pharisees believe in God, isn't it possible that He can interject into the natural course of things and do something supernatural? That's what this man's basically saying. And it seems like it's a plausible reason to the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. And so he challenges them with the simple, like, come up with another reasonable explanation. I don't know. Some of you, man, you're wearing yourself out pushing back and pushing back and pushing back, and then Jesus deals with the final point here this morning with all of our biggest problem, and that's seeing spiritually, seeing with spiritual eyes. John chapter nine verse thirty-five. So Jesus here hears about this man and this inquisition. Okay, he wasn't there, but he hears about him being pulled in. Then he's sent out, parents are pulled in, then they're sent out, then the now-healed blind guy's pulled back in. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's one of the terms Jesus gives to himself about being the Messiah. And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus responds, you've seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. And this guy says, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they're blind. Some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? Jesus says something very interesting here, ready? He says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, "But you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. This is Romans one stuff. When you when you move away from the things of God, your mind gets clouded and you can't even see the obvious. Jesus said it would have been better if you were physically blind because then you would. If I opened your eyes, you would you would know what's going on here." But because you think you can see, you can't see. He's talking about humility. He's talking about submission. If we're going to see spiritually, we have to see the obvious and humble ourselves under the truth of what is obvious. I'm going to say something profound here. I don't have many profound thoughts during a sermon, but this might be one. Okay. To see spiritually, you have to look outside of yourself. Now, let me say this again, because we live in a culture, and I hope I'm giving you some grids as you watch TV, and you watch the news, and you run around in the community, and you're in your institution of higher learning, you're in your school systems, whatever. You're beginning to get a biblical framework to process things, okay? You have to look outside of yourself to see spiritually. Why is that important? Because we live in a culture that says, look inside yourself to find yourself, right? You hear that all the time, like, like, look in your heart, whatever's in your heart. And we, we kind of covered this a couple weeks ago where Jesus taught, what's the problem with the human heart? And I'm not talking about the physical heart. I'm talking about the spiritually speaking. The problem is we're dead in sins, according to the Scripture. We're, we're so self-centered that if you look inside of yourself, all you're going to see is a sinner that you're cry, constantly trying to prop up all the time. Just prop yourself up. One up, you know, get it, make sure people see you. And the problem that gets very wearying for a sinner and someone who makes mistakes. And if you're really going to see spiritually, you've got to look outside of yourself. That's why Jesus said, Do you want to see the Messiah? Basically, this Bible says, Yes. The truth is found when your heart and your spiritual eyes engage with someone outside of you, and that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's the miracle of the gospel. When you become more like Christ, he's the one that created you. He's the one that made you. He's the one that knows how you'll most be fulfilled. And as he molds you more and more into his image, you become more and more personally fulfilled because he's now recreating you or regenerating you in the image of Christ. And he knows perfectly how to knit you up and wire you up. So that you will know true freedom. It's not inside of you, it's outside of you as you worship Jesus Christ. In fact, Proverbs 26 talks about the danger, verse 12, of you know, looking into your heart. Proverbs 26 says, Do you know, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? A person looking internally for truth and for meaning and for purpose. You see that person? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Jesus says. You Pharisees don't see because you think you know already. You're wise and you're, you're looking internally for the truth. And the truth is outside of you as a worshiper of Christ. And finally, humility is seeing. It takes a humble person to bow a knee to the lordship of Christ. Worship him with all that you are. And when you say, you know what? God, I am blind, and I I need Christ. And when you bow me in humility, that's when you see. That's when you see. This past week, I have um. I've run into um, three people that just got back from Alaska. Um, it, it's been kind of weird that way there, and they all went on cruises and saw you know the coastline and things like that. And one of those three was my parents, and. Um, <clears throat> I wish they'd taken me, but they didn't, so, um, but they went on a cruise, and, and, uh, my dad said, I was talking to him about Alaska, I said, was it beautiful? And he goes, man, it was breathtaking beautiful. He's like, I, I took pictures, but there's, there's just, there's no way that the pictures would do the Alaskan coastline any justice. I was like, oh, man, you know, and he was like, man, I, I hope that you can go someday, and I was like, I hope you'll send me someday, that'd be great, and, uh, <clears throat> so, no, I didn't say that, and, um, and I said, man, that'd be awesome. And, and uh, you know, and, and it's, have you ever seen something that, like, you have to call your spouse or a friend or a kid to see it, to believe it type thing? Like, and you know they've seen it before, but you're like, you, you know, they're in the other room. It's like, and you go, like, you gotta come see this, right? You ever do that? Uh, it's like, it's like uh, the time of year where we get the afternoon thunderstorms, right? And sometimes this time of year you get the rainbow, in the afternoon. It's just unbelievable. I mean, you get that rainbow. It's so beautiful. It's a double rainbow, right? And, and when you get the double rainbow, you, 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 get, you get your kids, right? You, get your, you got you to come see this, right? We, uh, this is a bird weekend, okay? We have this bird in our backyard um, that uh, is, is so blue, it's, um, I, I, I liken it to flying candy. It's just so beautiful. It's got the, I don't even know what it is, you know. And uh, last time, last service, I only had three people tell me what it was. But uh, so, uh, but I don't know what it is really. And um, this thing, it's like dory with wings. I mean, it's just beautiful blue, you know, just like eye catching. And, and, um, and every time this bird lands on our porch, somebody in the family's like, you gotta come see, every time, you gotta come see this. This bird is just, it's just beautiful. I see that bird, and every time I see it, I'm like, w- God, wow, you're like an amazing artist, you know? I mean, why did God do that, by the way? I mean, if we were just here to just exist, why didn't you just make everything gray, All right? Like, why is there beauty? Wow, God, you got to come see this to believe it. It's incredible. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and maybe you got invited here, you know why you got invited here? Because the person that invited you is a person who has seen the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a person who believes in a creator God and understands the human nature of sin and understands our only way to God is because God loved us so much that he sent his son to, to, to live a life we could never live because we're imperfect, but he was perfect. And then he died a death that really you and I deserved. and he took on the punishment of this, the holiness of God, and God's holy character took punished his own son, Jesus Christ. And by believing in him, by worshiping him, by focusing on something outside of us, we have new life. We're set free. And so the the spiritual blinders came off. And now we can see as followers of Christ. And you got invited here this morning because that person said, you got to come see this. It's incredible. And I know some of you in this room, and I've promoted this, and I think there are maybe in the seat back or at the Connect Center, where we have what we call a Reach 3 card, and we write three names down. We're praying for people, maybe that, to our knowledge, are not yet followers of Christ, and we pray for them. In church, you've got to be praying for them that one day the Spirit of God will work on their hearts and regenerate their hearts so that the finally seeing will be believing. It's a spiritual thing. And if you're here this morning, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know I have been praying for you this weekend. I've been praying for you, like God, I pray that you do that supernatural work where you the, the blind, spiritually speaking, will receive sight because you gotta see this. The gospel of Christ. It is beautiful. And for the one in this room that you're fatigued spiritually and emotionally from propping yourself up. Investing your life in things that won't last, Corinthians, like we looked at earlier. Man, I've got really good news for you. God is doing something. We're going to look at this in a, in a couple weeks. Jesus finishes this gospel by teaching his disciples. He said, "Guess what? I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come again. And when I come again, I'm taking you a place that's going to blow your mind. I've got that place for you for those that are followers of Christ." And those of us who are followers, we want to just scream out, you got to come see this. Worship God's Son, Jesus Christ. And like we looked at two weeks, three weeks ago now in John 8. Because if you know the truth, the truth will do what, church? It will set you free. Freedom is found in worshiping God's Son. Jesus Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of John chapter 9. Thank you for this blind man and his simple testimony. And I think all of us in this room that are followers of Christ, we resonate with his testimony. You know what? Once once I was blind, but man, now I see. God, for the one in this room that's been propping up themselves and They're fatigued and they're emotionally exhausted. For the one in this room, God, who has been investing in things that won't last and they're tired of building on a house of sand, God, that this morning they would bow a knee in humility to the person and work of Christ and that they would know the freedom and know the joy of going from spiritual blindness to seeing because it's incredible. Thank you for the invitation, always standing, of a God who loves us, a God who longs to adopt us, make us part of his family by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. God, as followers of yours, we go out this week in the community, give us opportunity to talk to other people about spiritual matters and say, you, you got to come see this. God's Son, Jesus Christ, it's incredible. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. <clears throat> if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. And I just want you to know we are not after your money, okay? This is just one of the ways that uh, we worship God at Coastal Community Church. Uh, if you'd like to join us that you're certainly welcome, but don't feel an obligation. As a guest, though, I'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin. We call it a connect card or a tear-off if you just fill it out. Uh, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. Also, after the service... Um, if you're here this morning you have some prayer needs or you'd like to talk to someone uh, about some spiritual things going on um, we usually have some folks sitting on either side with purple shirts and man they, they're a prayer team ministry and they would love to talk to you and pray to you if that's something you would like to do all right ushers come forward jared